1: Hi, everyone. This is Sima, the inclusionist, with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People, where we have comfortable conversations on race and we make uncomfortable conversations comfortable. Today, I have two wonderful guests. I've got Leslie Gregory, who's in Portland, and I have Nekwari Howard from Texas. And what we're going to start doing, I'm going to start with Niquari and Leslie introducing themselves. So would you two introduce yourself, say a little bit about what it is that you do, and something about who you are, your demographics, because people can't see you. So let's start, Niquari, let's start with you.
4: Uh, My name is Niquari Howard. I'm a graphic designer originally from the East Coast, now residing in Texas. Um, I'm an African-American male. Uh, And really, I just like to spark conversations on race, and hopefully uh, uh, entice people to do something actionable. uh, Make a change in the
5: world on an everyday basis.
1: Thank you. Leslie?
5: Hi. I am a primary care provider in Portland, Oregon, which was called The Whitest City in America by The Atlantic magazine uh, recently. I also have a nonprofit addressing health disparities based on racism, because we know it does affect the health of all Americans, not just people of color. Uh, and I think uh, I love your your goal, which is to make uncomfortable conversations more comfortable, but what we know is it's not just discomfort. It's health risk. And so uh, that's the way we're addressing uh, racism and the health, effects of it in this country so that's our mission
1: thank you so much oh, well i think that's sorry,
5: a good, i forgot I, th- I forgot to tell you i'm also african-american female uh and i also have a specific type of heart disease which is what led me into medicine so um that's you know sort of how i am also the child of two civil rights activists as parents so that's the background picture
1: and Leslie, you were also in the military weren't
5: you Exactly, where racism is rampant and I believe flies under the radar, not just military but also paramilitary. So our our civilian police and fire, uh, these paramilitary organizations also have a, a very strong flow of racism throughout history uh, because it's very difficult to address it in our heroes. Nobody wants to criticize or you know sort of bring our heroes up on issues that they could be improving. and so, uh, this is where we find racism in a very high incidence.
1: Okay. Well, and what I'd like to lead in now is with your part of uh, your mission when you're talking about racism being a national health crisis. Am I right? Exactly. So uh, I'd like I'd like you to tell us a little bit about about what you're working on and why it is a national health crisis, and then we'd like to hear from Nacawari and, and hear what you have to say. So well, go ahead.
5: So here, here, here's the issue. So our national health authorities, including CDC, NIH, DHS, these are, the, these are our national health authorities. Their job is to prevent and control disease, just like in CDC's actual the title. It is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Okay, so that's, you know, these are people you are paying with your taxes to do the job of overseeing. They're basically like my job for the nation, I'm a primary care provider. So they are basically the nation's primary care provider and there are criteria, in other words, a list of things that when these, when the state is, is uh, uh, present, those four criteria represent a public health threat. So just like the new opioid overdose epidemic, these other, and smoking, diabetes, heart disease, you know the, the seatbelt issue. All of those were public health risks that were addressed by CDC. The four criteria, and this is very critical. I would love to have your listening audience actually write them down because it's very critical. Number one, the first criteria is it must be a burden on our culture, society, the medical system—a burden, either uh, high cost, a lot of people are dying, uh, these kinds, or you know, at high risk for transmission, like the Zika virus, these sorts of things. So it has to be a burden. Uh, the next is that burden is typically shared disproportionately in some segment of the population. So, for instance, smoking disproportionately affects pregnant women because it, it leads to low birth weight babies, so, you know, diabetics, etc. So it has to be disproportionately shared by a segment of the population. So that's number two. Number three, there's evidence. That current measures are insufficient. So, for example, HIV. The testing that people were doing, the current measures that they were trying to do to reduce that virus were insufficient. So, that's when they declared it a public health threat and then everybody had to be tested. You remember back uh, with HIV. So, that's number three. Number four is, excuse me, uh, there's evidence that current measures are uh, insufficient and that upstream change will be a difference. So when we talk about upstream, that means it's institutional. That means it needs to come out of the individual exam room and go up into the system, the system of, uh, so for instance, the public health system or our smoking or the automobile industry with the seat belts. That means that's upstream change. And all four of those conditions are met with racism and have been for many years. This is why we're not making much traction. This is why we're seeing that despite all our current efforts, it's not working because no one is addressing the upstream or systemic issue and that's CDC's job and the fact that they're not doing it is a perfect and precise example of institutional racism. So and could that we is our campaign. Th-
1: So Leslie and so could we and, and then I wanna hear from you, Nucari, to see what you have to say about this. So it sounds like it's more than a national health crisis, but it sounds like we're talking about an epidemic. What, what what's your reaction?
4: Um, I would agree. I, I definitely feel like all of the, the points that you've made are hit when you consider racism. I think it's um, specifically when you talk about institutional racism, it affects so many lives in such an unconscious way. It definitely could be considered a health crisis, I think the concern you have when trying to uh, bring this on such a large scale is
5: getting people to see it as a health issue. Right. Absolutely. But what we also know, and I think one of the reasons I push on this is I am a practical preventive cardiologist, meaning that as a primary care practitioner, heart disease being the number one killer in our country, I primarily focus on preventive cardiology. My suspicion is that what you're talking about when you say uncomfortable conversations, I'm telling you that's stressful conversations. It's stress. And when we look at the disproportionate incidence of heart disease in this country, a big part of what I suspect is going on is the stress around having these conversations, facing our own individual and internalized racism, uh, looking at the bigger cultural picture of just plain something's not right. And it's called what I like to call it is incongruence. In other words, uh, the paradox of two opposing states cannot have, cannot happen at the same time. So what we have is a whole population of people walking around thinking we live in the land of the free and brave. The point is when we look around and see be, people being hosed, shot for driving down the street, etc., that creates an environment of incongruence. In other words, what do you mean we're land of the free and home of the brave people are being shot on the street that does not it doesn't match up so people have this sort of underlying discomfiture or like you say uncomfortable conversations i'm telling you that is actually stress and what we know about stress is it leads to heart disease and, well, and we have a disproportionate incidence of heart disease in this country as opposed to others and isn't yeah, it tr- but it, leslie
1: saying, leslie isn't it true yeah. too that um and i and I read a know George Halverson, from. Uh, he used to be the ex-CEO of Kaiser Permanente, he's written s- several books on health disparities. And isn't it true that black people die at a higher absolutely. rate of heart disease than any other population yes. right now in this country? I mean, disproportionately.
5: That's absolutely correct. And what what happens is, Uh, the current, and like I said, the current paradigm is not sufficient. So what typically is with the current paradigm is CDC will say, uh, this is quote, uh, social determinants of health, end quote. And that's the, that's the sort of standard line we hear from CDC. And so they're much more likely to look at things like access to care, uh, food deserts, obesity, you know, four choices, salt in the diet, et cetera. Instead of looking at the underlying cause of all those things, which is racism, this pushes people of color out of the mainstream of medical care. And when you look at, again, the institutionality of it, this is actually a logical response since we know people of color were experimented on by the medical establishment without their permission. This is a normal response to an abnormal situation. So if people act irrationally in response to an irrational condition, that is, in fact, a reasonable reaction. And so I think that's a big part of what is so complex. You know, it can seem so complex on the surface when you first think about it. But at the end of the day, it really isn't complex. Why would someone come to medical care when that medical care has historically been abusive? And so I think that's a part of it. That's a part of the stress we know. The other part is, and if you, you know, I I would love for your listeners to check out a documentary called Unnatural Causes, because that documents very clearly how the daily uh, drip, drip, drip of microaggressions and chronic stress, chronic signals, leads to this sort of very low-lying inescapable stress, and I believe that that is a big part of what drives the highest incidence of heart disease in people of color. But we also need to look at what it's doing to white people, those uncomfortable conversations. That's another part of stress. So it's affecting white people as well, and I think that's the important piece uh, we also need to put together, which is why it is a threat to public health.
1: Oh, I like I like that because obviously it's, it's a threat. I mean, it's a threat to everybody. McQuarrie, what Correct. what's your reaction when you hear this, and do you have any experience... Um, with disparities in health care, also. Uh,
4: I, my question would be, do you feel like you can do enough to separate um, racism as a standalone issue that is the root cause of some of these things you're addressing? Um, for, oh, instance, yeah. for instance, for uh, instance, you reference food deserts. This is a huge problem um, in minority communities, but the counter to that would be that that has less to do with racism and more to do with socioeconomics, which we know are inherent not inherently, but are definitively intertwined specifically in the U.S. But Absolutely. It was, it was What's food to desert? People to...
1: tell, tell people what food desert is.
4: A food desert is the idea that there live um, areas where you can't get fresh produce and quality food um, in neighbor, poor, lesser, socioeconomic neighborhoods.
1: Mm-hmm. So hmm So you're uh, talking about, like, places where they may not have vegetables, or if they are, there's, like, $25 for a tomato. I mean, it's an exaggeration. Exactly. But... exactly. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Right. Um, and... Go ahead, Niquari. But I also wanted...
4: So my point okay, is that, like, I believe all of these things. I think that an issue of uh, presenting this to a larger public... Is that they're going to try and intertwine racism with a bunch of other issues as opposed to seeing it as a standalone issue that they can co- uh,
5: see as a health epidemic? You know, that's a brilliant, brilliant observation. And I can go directly to it when you look at the other public health threats that we've we had very successful campaigns. So the first one that comes to mind for me is the HIV issue. And yes, of course, it intersects with what? Homophobia. And these, mm-hmm. but, but that's exactly wow. why CDC needs to be doing the job. When we wow. see these intersections, that tells us why we're not making traction. Because they're mm-hmm. not talking about how racism really is, you know, if we could rip off that sort of social determinants of health and just call it racism. That's why we understand the economic uh, impetus for these businesses to put these healthier food choices in these neighborhoods. So you understand there's an intersectionality of classism, greed, racism, you know, all of them intersect and that's precisely why an umbrella organization like CDC needs to do the job. What happened with HIV? There was so much stigma attached to being gay that as soon as CDC stopped talking about it in terms of being promiscuous or gay or, you know, these, these things that attach so much stigma to the HIV issue, as soon as CDC picked it up and said, oh, no, this isn't about homophobia. This is not about whether you're gay or promiscuous. This is about exposure. And that's when the drive to test everyone made the HIV epidemic much more tackleable. You know, they were able to, you know, that's when we started to see huge traction and improvement uh, on the transmission and reduction of transmission in the disease. So that is exactly my point. And thank you so much for making it because precisely that is what happened. We have racism intersecting with classism, intersecting with homophobia, gender bias. Look at the Me Too campaign, another perfect example. Uh, you know what? I'm going to interu- I have to interrupt you right now
1: because we have to pause for a commercial break. This is, we'll, be, okay. we'll be back. This is Sima, the inclusionist with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People on the Michelle Meow Show, and we come back with Nakari Howard and Leslie Gregory. We're going to be talking about We're going to talk about race as a um, national health issue, and we're going to be moving into what you think some of the solutions are.
2: The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play, watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook, and when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. Babe,
6: I think we're ready.
3: And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist. And I'm back with my guests, Laquari Howard and Leslie Gregory. And for this segment, we last segment, we were talking about racism as a national health issue. And of course, we're not going to be able to solve the whole problem in the next segment, but we are going to be talking about solutions. So, uh, Leslie, I know you're involved with the project. Let's, let's hear, hear you uh, share some of the solutions. And, Aquari, I want to hear from you afterwards. So go ahead, Leslie. Uh,
5: so I think the first thing I would say is CDC needs to make the declaration. Uh, I think that's the absolute number one with a bullet, because without that, all the other institutional pieces – will not fall into place, and we've seen this. It is the one thing that despite hundreds of years of racism, slavery, Jim Crow, Reconstruction, the entire history, it's the one thing that hasn't been tried. Everything else has been tried. So I think that really needs to be the first step, and that's why my moveon.org petition uh, is so critically important. So if you go to moveon.org and type in racism and public health, it'll pop right up. I think that's number one. If if you just have to make the diagnosis, that's medical, it's clinical, we know that about diabetes, heart disease, every other chronic disease known to man. You don't make the diagnosis, you don't call it out, you don't see change. So I have to say that is number one. Uh, I think the next step is we need to start, if we're gonna have a conversation about race, we need to start with one very important piece, which is there is no such thing as race. There's one race. Mm. One race, okay? It's homo sapiens. That's it. There's homo sapiens. That's, that's all of us. And if you want to, you can actually Google the American Anthropological Association statement on race, which this is the authority. Anthropologists actually, that's their job. And they've made this statement. There's one race. So I think that's number two. Uh, number three, we, in terms of flipping that script, we have already done that. Then we move on to defying the lie, which is what we have been told in the history of this country. And I think that's, that's the other part, to you know, just flip the script and defy the lie about white supremacy, because that's what we've all been sold. Um, and then like the rest of medical and clinical behavior, we take these steps as they go. We see how we respond to step one, and then we determine what we do with step two. We see how we respond to that, and then we move on to the next step. That's clinical. That's how the medical model works. And we are prepared. We have many steps. We've got people doing this work all over the nation. Byron Hurt uh, is brilliant uh, with the work that he's doing in terms of exactly what we've just been talking about, food choices, uh, et cetera. So please, everyone, look up Byron Hurt because his work in this regard uh, in terms of diet. And how to manage heart disease, diabetes, etc. in our communities is critical, transformational, and, and just so important. Also, the unnatural causes. So I just want people to have reference so that they can understand what I'm talking about after we are after the program is over.
1: So what I think I hear you saying is that there's something that every single person can actually do.
5: Absolutely, must do, must do for the no health. of matter, department. no matter, no matter, no matter who you are. No matter what right.
1: color you are, no matter who you are, that if we do this together, everybody takes responsibility at least for themselves, for their own health, and for also creating some change. LaQuarrie, what do you see as some of the solutions?
4: <clears throat> I think she's right on track. Um, first off, I am all on board with uh, action point number one. Acknowledging that racism an issue, racism is an issue is a huge step as a country we need to do. Until we can agree that it's a national problem, we can't fix it. So I am 100% on board with that. Um, and then more than anything, we need to start uh, creating actionable targets. These things affect us on a day-to-day lives, and people need to be held accountable. Uh, we need to begin to gain some understanding of what are just facts um, and what are things we can solve and be held accountable for. Uh, For instance, uh, police shootings are hot on everyone's mind these days. It's it's tough as a black male in the African-American community to see these shootings happening and no one getting punished for anything. Um, And that goes along all of these things with racism. It's hard to see this fight continue to go on and not feel like you're seeing actionable steps being taken or People continuing to talk and not progress towards changes. So I think, you know, step, step number one definitively is defining and announcing uh, that racism is an issue as a country and acknowledging the hurt that has come from 400 years of oppression uh, is step one. And step two, begin to unpack what that means as far as it goes with police brutality and race relations, um, food deserts. Healthcare, right. hiring practices, all of That's these right. things need to be addressed and, and established that, like, these are things that race and racism impact
5: on That's a day-to-day
4: right. basis so that we can begin to unpack how we can appropriately solve them. Because, you know, solutions can be proposed, but it may not be, do anything to address the underlying issue. And if the underlying issue remains... The problem is just going to manifest somewhere else.
5: That's absolutely correct, Macquarie. Oh, uh, can I add one other? Yeah. I have a lot of resources, uh, <laughs> Semi, and I'm just so excited to get these resources out to Please. people so they understand. So uh, another place where you can do, because one of the things we're knowing about exactly what Macquarie talking about is uh, the trauma, sustained trauma. And it's not just people of color, but we need to focus on people of color, just like we did with Black Lives Matter. We're not saying that all lives don't matter. We're not saying that. We're saying mm-hmm. all, lives, all lives will not matter until Black Lives Matter. That's the point. And so one of the things I'd like you to be aware of is the chronic stress associated with uh, racism and these incidents that keep happening. One of the things that's so important with our campaign is when the social media posts continue to flare up where someone's shot, uh, someone's unjustly incarcerated, uh, et cetera. We're asking that one of the action steps people can actually do is to push the campaign in that moment. So when you see that terrible incident on Facebook, post the campaign so people have something to do. That's an integral integral step to
4: um,
5: at least have an action instead of just sitting there re-traumatizing ourselves. So that's number one. Uh, Number two, there's a brilliant man out of Northern California, named Victor Lee Lewis, who has been doing uh, at his website called Radical Resilience, uh, actually treating trauma with a non-pharmacotherapeutic strategy called Emotional Freedom Technique. So he does teaching on that particular intervention for people who are victims of trauma. So I think that's another important piece uh, because there are things that are being done. And uh, incidentally, when I wrote my letter to CDC asking them to do their job, their response was, we don't have evidence-based best practices, so we don't know what to do about it, in other words. My point is you would never have said that to an HIV victim. You don't say, oh, I don't know what to do about it, so we're not going to do our job. You say you do your job, then you go out and get the solution, which comes quicker if you've made that declaration first. So I think that's the other piece. And you can actually go to my website and see the letter I wrote and their response if you go to right to Health US. And, of course, that's numeral 2, so R-I-G-H-T, number 2, healthus.org. You can actually see the letter. Um, There's also a podcast there, so I have more time and can go into it, so you can understand that a little uh, more. But also uh, to understand that there are people all over the country doing this work, okay? So there's hope. This is not something that's just going without address. Mm-hmm. You know, well, particularly women of color around the country have been working on this for many years. The job of CDC is to go out and get this information, become a clearinghouse for it, and begin to disseminate the information so other people can have access. That's what Right to Health is attempting to do. But I'm just a little nonprofit here in Portland, Oregon, so uh, we're also looking for volunteers and donations. Well,
1: I, I would like, like to, I would I would like to ask each of you what have you what have you experienced what have you seen some specific examples in terms of Uh, health disparity right now.
5: uh, Go ahead, Macquarie. You can can start. Okay, so great. So one of the things I've seen is we've got a tremendous uh, strategy here in Portland. uh, And, uh, again, there's another Facebook page because I'm trying to make this available to people uh, who need it. There's a Facebook page called Friday Night Dialogue. Which actually does exactly what McCarvey's talking about. It's bringing these difficult conversations into a very safe space where white, black, gay, straight doesn't matter. People can sit in a safe space, whether real or virtual, and have these conversations safely. Um, another thing, and we do recommend people do a little research behind it so they understand the very complex nature of this systemic racism. And that's a lot of there's a lot of great literature out there. Uh, you know, how to be white is one of them. There's organizations working on this, like the People's Institute for Sustainability and Beyond. We have some tremendous groups that are doing amazing work. And so I just I think that's so critically important. So I like the Friday Night Dialogue Facebook page because we accumulate a lot of information uh, and access. Another tremendous book that will help people to put into some sort of context uh, what's going on with people of color is Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome by Joy Larry DeGru. That's another brilliant book that you can get some background. You have to educate yourself before you can have a an intelligent conversation on these very complex issues.
1: And uh, and how about you? What what have you what have you seen personally? What do you know of? Because I think that a lot of times people, when people are listening, they really relate when they hear some of the stories. And I've seen a lot. Oh
4: God, yeah. So yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Please. Uh, these stories with regards to what?
1: With, with, with health disparity, and what we say that racism is, is, a, is a national health crisis.
4: So, I mean, I think more than anything, you could argue that it takes a mental and an emotional toll on people. Yeah. Um, the imagery that you see on a day-to-day basis affects your perception of the world, yourself, and those around you. And quite Absolutely. frankly, the imagery displayed of African Americans isn't great. Um, it's not always the strongest imagery shown of us, um, uh, frankly, unless it, of an entertainer. So these things right. can play these things can play uh, tricks on the mind and make you think that you are less than you are, um, and that goes through music, through news, through the internet, through all of these things. And the perceptions go both ways. Um, right. It becomes a self defeating purpose. I've heard, I've spoken to police officers who firmly believe that people in ghettos want nothing more than to be drug dealers and gangbangers. And I rebut with no one grows up wanting to be a drug dealer and a gangbanger. But when you grow up in a situation that only allows you to believe that that's your only way out, that's what you're going to gravitate towards. And until you can change the way people think, see, and view themselves, the world around them, and the people they're interacting with, you know, it's going to be a problem. I think, um, from, like you said, from a stress standpoint, it's hard being pulled over by a police officer and being terrified. I know people that legitimately are terrified if they get, trapped for, get stopped for a traffic uh, violation. It's jarring. Yeah, these, things, these things weigh on people's hearts and minds on a day-to-day basis, And those stresses build up. Uh, Like like Leslie said, microaggressions, you can count them uh, by noon. You can count them on both hands by noon in a day sometimes. That's
1: right. Because, you know. I want to ask, to. I want to ask a question too. Have you ever been stopped by police? I have. Could you just share? Um, Because I think that, you know, when we talk about it being racism, being a health crisis, we really are talking about, I mean, how it impacts everybody. We are talking about people dying.
5: Yes. That's absolutely true. So,
1: McCoy, would you you just share an experience that you've had? Because people need to hear what's really happening.
4: Interestingly enough, um, prior to this year, I had been stopped. And it was pretty much what you would expect. The cop was brash. He was abrupt. He was in my face. It wasn't pleasant. Um, but I did what you're taught to do. You keep your hands on the wheel, yes, sir, no, sir. You don't talk back. You do exactly as you are spoken to, and you move on. Um, My experience this year was actually 360 degrees, where, quite frankly, both of us were walking on eggshells. I was very nervous, and you could tell as well that the officer was. Um, So, like, in this instance, not only was this weighing on me, all of these interactions weren't just weighing on me. They were weighing on him as well. I was still nice. very cautious, very deferential, but from the get-go, the officer made a point to speak up and let me know that everything was okay. This is going to be okay. Don't freak out. You know, you it. were speeding. Um, just give me your license and registration, and we'll be fine, and we'll get you on your way. Yeah. Well, thank you. So we're going to have to take we're
1: going to have to take another commercial break. Um, Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing your experience. And it's another example of how racism affects everybody Um, and some people more than others. So we're going to stop. We're going to pause for commercial break. This is Sima, the inclusionist on the Michelle Meow show. And uh, my guests today are Naquari Howard and Leslie Gregory. And we come, when we come back, we're going to talk about a new video that a lot of people have been watching called I'm Not Racist by Joyner Lucas.
3: Ted Olson and David Boyce came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face to face with today's Thought Leaders.
6: Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah,
0: I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com.
3: And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Sima, the inclusionist, back from commercial break. My guests today are Leslie Gregory and Aquari Howard. We were talking about racism as a health crisis, as a national health crisis. And we're talking about some solutions. And I want to start talking now about a video on YouTube that a lot of people are talking about called I'm Not Racist. And I won't play the yeah. video now, because of time, well, you couldn't see it, but uh, I, won't, I won't. I won't put the audio on because of time. But I'm going to talk to Aquari and Leslie to get to get their to get their thoughts on it. Aquari, would you mind just telling people a little bit about about the YouTube video and and what it's about?
4: Sure. Um, the video essentially is a sit down between. A white Trump supporter and a young African American male, and so the artist Jonah Lucas uh, decides to delve into both sides and kind of give their perspectives on race um, and kind of where we are as a country um, <clears throat> based on their background.
5: And, and I want to say, can I can I just add one comment? Yeah, about okay. the video.
1: Yeah.
5: So I think one of the things that we are seeing, is, and it's so typified by that video, is the antipathy between these two individuals, and this is what Right to Health has been training people to do. Uh, there's a, uh, a very angry presentation on both parts where what the underlying theme is, I'm not racist. And I think what they're saying basically is, I'm not racist as a white guy, pushing back on this, I'm not racist as a black guy. And it becomes this very uh, confrontational and heated uh, conversation between these two people. I want the big picture to be noted here, and I think it's critical to point this out. This is the intersection of racism and classism, because we know, and this is absolutely unequivocal, we have great data on this, that the upper class of uber wealthy are actually manipulating this entire environment to have people who are in the lower classes and less economically well-off fighting amongst themselves on these false uh differences like race class gender identity etc the more we do that down here in the trenches fighting about who's racist who's homophobic who's not was that an offense was it or not you know this as long as we're doing that we're missing the bigger picture and being distracted from the greedy behavior of these uber elite individuals. And I think okay. a perfect oh. example is the current Le- administration. Leslie, Leslie, Leslie,
1: I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta stop you for a minute because I wanna go back. I wanna go back. I wanna go back to the video to talk about uh, reactions to the video because what happens in the video is you've got this angry white guy um exactly using the n-word a lot talking about That's right. how he, the yep. feelings that he has he says for and other white people about black people and he talks about right. why you why are you selling drugs why are you blaming white people m&m's not right. white if you heard his you know he's no longer white because of his video and um He's going on with a lot, a lot of his issues uh, with a lot of stereotypes about black people, and then that's right. When the black guy now, it, now it's Joyner Lucas's voice. He's he plays both parts. He plays like the white guy. I mean, um, right. audio, and the black guy is not him, but it's but it's someone else. And then the black guy, and at the end of the white guy's segment, he says, "Here's my story." I wish I could hear your story. And then the black guy comes in and he starts telling his story. And his story is basically, here's why we do what we do because we have to deal with racism. We have to deal with not being able to find a job. We have to deal with being killed. um, And this is why we act this way. And then he says, I love you, but I hate you. And at the end, right. they end up embracing. So I know what I think about it. Naquari, I would like to hear, I know you're very much involved in, and you're also a music lover and a video lover. I would like to hear from you what your thoughts are. Because I, I have some thoughts about it. So I'd like to hear what you think.
4: Uh, conceptually, I like what he's trying to do here. Um, I have my feelings on specific points that I agree with and disagree with. The conceptually I like what Jonah Lucas tried to do here. I think one of the things I struggle with from a base standpoint is two things he does a lot throughout the video, which is which is something that we do uh, as a society is use y'all speak or them or mm-hmm. that's right in creating these outside groups that allow us to disassociate and then see each other as less than human or separate from the problems of someone else. That's right. Um The other thing that he does uh, quite a lot is, and I just lost my train of thought, I'm sorry, Uh, but I really like how he makes good points from both perspectives because I think inherently we need to realize that everyone's striving for the same thing, and collectively there's just a lack of understanding. So I think he does a good point by finishing both pieces with, uh, I, this is my story, I'd like to hear yours, because there's a lot of yelling over each other. and That's right. to That was my second point. To, to that point, the video is yelling. Both parties That's in the video are yelling. Um, so, you know, I feel like a lot of discussions based around race in America are just two sides yelling at each other. Because that's right. Which is gonna lead nowhere because I don't have to agree with you on everything, but I've got to be able to talk to you. Um, so I feel like a lot of people need to listen, and a lot of people need to feel heard. That's right. In, in order for us to make progress anywhere, and I think that's definitely a point he was trying to make. You know, some of the things that he was, uh, some of the things he was saying. I disagree with because a lot of his points were based in it was steeped in stereotypes, which okay. are hugely detrimental because no racial experience is monolithic. Um, the black experience, I hate when people say, the blacks talk like X or all white people do this because that's ridiculous. Um, no one group of anything does everything the same But we need to be able to understand that culturally there are differences, but that doesn't make them wrong. Um, Just because I believe one thing and people who look and think like me believe similar things doesn't make their thought processes wrong. It just makes it different. And once you understand that it's different and not wrong, you can begin to find a middle ground the way we celebrate christmas may be extremely different but we can mold them together to have one wonderful holiday or hanukkah or whatever your holiday season is well Great. i you know yes. i excellent i, I
1: love I, I love what you had to say because i i'm going to give the white perspective no actually i'm going to give my perspective as a person who is white um, i i agree with you i really liked the Sentiment of bringing people together, and and at the same time, it's like he said. Well, the white guys going, well, why you do this, and you blah 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 blah, and the black guys, well, this is why I do it. But no, he says, this is why we do it. But the reality yeah. is, I know a lot of black people that don't that don't smoke crack and that don't that don't rob people that you know and that work at jobs, and. The way that he had the black guy say it was almost as though, in a way he was sort of accepting what this white guy was saying now, I know exactly. a lot of communities have different issues and we got to deal with those issues so that was that that was that that was one of my thoughts and the other thing I mean I know it was kind of like a a quick it was it, it was he, he had to he had to be quick but I want to talk a little bit more about what I think about the white guy, but I see now we've got to have another co- time for another commercial break, and uh, we'll be back after the break. This is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist, with Nakari Howard and Leslie Gregory, and when we come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about about this video and about race relations, and we're we'll back after the break.
0: Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs.
2: The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook. And when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at CommonwealthClub.org.
3: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist, back from commercial break on the Michelle Meow Show with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People. And my guest today, are Leslie Gregory and Howard, and we were talking about the Joyner Lucas video. And... Um, I, I, I was I was looking at the video. I mean, I think I really like the idea. It's true. People don't know each other's stories. And that when they know each other's right. stories, it can humanize people. But I also felt that here's the white guy using N-words every single second of the day. You know, every single second of the song. Not every single second, but you know what I mean. And... I don't know if you could go from just using that kind of language to all of a sudden be being hugged up, but I did like the sentiment. So back to you two. What 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 what, what are your reactions? What do you think about what I had to say?
4: So can I hop in real? Quick? Yeah, please the, uh, do. Leslie, uh, I'm. I'll just tell you right now, he can't. And so. <laughs> Joiner Lucas did that for effect and shock value, obviously, but mm-hmm. that conversation just doesn't go that way in real life. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that it can't, but I'm saying when you come out using language that loaded, it's not going to be received that way, period. <laughs> yeah. um, you've immediately, like, done nothing to defuse the situation. Now, I don't know what reaction you're going to get. Like I said, the, no black uh, experience is monolithic. So depending on who you're talking to, the reaction will be different, but you will certainly get a reaction using language like that in front of an African-American person.
5: Yeah. Absolutely. And I would also... Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, I would also add, and, and again, this goes back to the health piece, there's a reflex involved. The reason that we're mm-hmm. talking about it this way is it's a reflex. You know this kind of word is going to trigger this person. Just like if I was going to sit down and talk to a white person and immediately bring out words like cracker and racism, yeah. et cetera. These are things that flare people up, and it's not just an emotional response. We see physical responses to these behaviors, and that's where the health of it comes in. So I think that's the other piece that we do at Right to Health. We're training peace warriors to de-escalate. To not respond. And when you do respond, do it in an appropriate way, not a maladaptive way, which is another clinical mm-hmm. definition of what happens when people respond in a way that is not in their best interest, but they can't help it. So, yep. for instance, and if you, I don't know if anybody saw the video of the Philando Castile stopping, you know, yes. the, web cam, the uh, police cam, that mm-hmm. white officer was terrified walking up to the car. It yeah. was very clear. Yep. And so my point is, this is where we have all been manipulated by this myth of race to fight amongst ourselves and be unhealthy around how we're managing it while, at, while being distracted by this. And people with greed are walking away with a bag. And I just think that's such a critical piece to remember, because if you can keep that in mind, you begin to see the other as victim as well. So you understand that we are all victims of this machine. So and what I, I hear you
1: talking about, you so I, I, I think I so I, what I hear you talking about is I think I hear you talking about the importance of having empathy, and yes, exactly.
5: I think that that's exactly. really important. Do you
1: think now? I, yes. I've actually I was actually been on YouTube for several hours. I, I must have seen the video I don't know a hundred times and listened to what a lot of people had to say. So I heard a lot of different, different, different uh, reactions. Yes. Do you think that this video? Will help help advance the conversation, or at least increase the conversation.
5: What do you think? Well, I think increase. I think increase. Yes, advance yeah. not necessarily. But again, I think that this is my point. We need action steps for both communities, and that's why I'm telling people when they see these triggering videos, when they see these triggering uh, recordings, etc., to post the campaign so patients, ha- so people have. Actual action steps to do. Uh, the other thing, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the CDC was actually already empowered to study gun violence as a public health threat. Uh, that had already been brought up. And what happened was, as soon as that, as soon as that mandate was put to them, the funding was withdrawn by the by the people who who you know dispersed this money. And why? Well, that's where we see this intersectionality of politics. Social, cultural imperatives, and race. So these are all very intertwined, the very complex nets. Just like if you think about it, The Matrix, if, it, if anybody has ever seen the movie The Matrix, racism <laughs> is America's matrix right now. And that's what's happening. Nobody's seeing the undercurrent of greed that is manipulating. People to fight like this among themselves. We want to get along. People want to get along. So, like we like so
1: I have to get. I have to get. I have to get back. Get back to the video. Do you think that? I mean, I, when, I, when I was on YouTube, people were talking about that they thought that this was going to help people get along better. I don't. You know, okay. I don't. You know, I. I think that if people have the idea of doing it, I think that's a really good idea. Um, okay, so I don't is, think, so, Corey, what do you think? Is it going to be like a quick
2: fix?
4: No, I, no it, it, there's no quick fix. Um, we're Correct. a quick fix society, we want easy solutions, and there's not one to this problem, period. Uh, what Absolutely. I do think can happen, I do think this can increase talk, which is vastly important. I think it can get people out of their box, which is vastly important. But like you said, you spent the entire morning on YouTube You look in the comment section of any YouTube video, it's the worst place on earth. That's right. The the underbelly of human society. People say things on YouTube and Twitter online that they would never say in real life. But that's That's where you're exposed to what your real feelings are when there's no fear of consequence. So like, like you said, I think where this is vastly important is exposure because exposure to new ideas, New uh, thought processes and new imagery and new symbolism of people can change the way you think about them and therefore can change the way you interact with them. So I think, you know, seeing more things like this that are driving home the idea that, like, maybe your way of thinking isn't the only way of thinking is huge in changing the narrative long term. It can expose people to things that they need that are going to shift the way they think, the way they interact, and the way they view the world and the people in it. But it's definitely not going to be a quick fix.
1: Yeah, and I think you know what I look, you know looking at the video, I mean I, I agree with everything that's been said so far. And I don't do videos. I don't make you know. I wish I you know I'm, I'm not I'm not that advanced. It was very well done, but there's also that piece of rat of of hey what you're saying is is a stereotype, and no, we're not all like that. And I think that one thing that I've seen a lot in terms of getting people to work together around issues of race is when people are able to find some commonalities and find like a place to jump off together. I mean, because just having the the conversation doesn't do, you know, just having conversation doesn't really do anything. You guys are talking about, About action, I think the conversation has to be. Let's find let's let's find out where we connect. Let's find out where we're different. Let's see each other as human beings. But let me not just say, "Hey, you're a racist dog, and you stay a racist dog." No, we want people. We want to see people change, and we want to see people take some action together. So it's not just like, "Oh, we agree to disagree." You could stay in the Ku Klux Klan.
5: Yeah. Well, uh, no, and I think I mean, another piece. So go ahead, McQuarrie. No, I was just going to say, I mean, you're right.
4: Like, you need a starting point. You need a place to understand the humanity of the person across the aisle from you. If you can't understand their, their basic plight, their basic human desire just to be happy and do slightly better today than they did yesterday, then we can't change anything.
5: That's right. Uh, I, I would also add that I think one of the things we're seeing, particularly with the Internet revolution, if you want to call it that, is uh, we have a lot of people who are sitting in their homes alone watching these things. Yes. That is the exact opposite of what needs to be happening. You're sitting alone in your house, you're going to flare up. Yes. You're going to hear that N-word, you're going to hear that word that flares you up, and there you are sitting alone in your home. Here's my point. Again, we know the stress of these episodes, these recurrent videos, and the images we're getting barraged with all day, you sit on your butt and you watch them, there's nowhere for the extra stress hormones to go. So your blood pressure goes up, you're, you're put into this stressful internal environment, and you have no way to get it out. So my first, epi- like I said, I, I think we need to be posting the campaign so people have action steps and not just sit there. But secondly, get up and move. When you feel your heart rate going up, you feel that pounding of your heart in your ear, you know you're getting stressed and tense. Get up and move so that it gets out, because that's the other thing that's increasing our risk for heart disease in this country.
1: I love that, I, you, I I love that you said I, that. Go ahead. Nicole, were you going to say something? I couldn't,
4: I couldn't agree more. Um, we live in a time where we're more isolated than ever, but we have the capacity, capacity to be more connected than ever. Um, there's never been there's never been more available tools for you to get up and make a change. Connect with That's someone right. you don't agree with. Um, start an app. Start a blog. Start a march. Right. Go do something yeah. for a community you don't understand. Get up, get out, and participate in the dialogue. That's
5: right. And vote for God's sake. Yes. Vote. Yes. Amen of, to now. that. We got a lot of elections. Right now, we are poised uh, with a lot of upcoming elections where we can make some changes that need to be, and again, this is very systemic. I'm not talking about one-on-one, although I do have, my Peace Warrior training is a one-on-one de-escalation and healthcare prevention strategy. Also, we need that systemic look, that big picture look that we are living in a culture literally taken over by this matrix of racism. And if you don't get up and get out, it's painful. Take the right pill. Take the red pill. It's not going to be pretty, but at least your children will be better off. And that's another thing we focus on here at Right to Health is uh, counteracting these adverse childhood experiences called ACEs, A-C-E, because this is really about our children. And I love what you said, Macquarie, about how we all just want to do a little better than we did yesterday. What we really want is our children to do better than we did. And I think yep. this is another way we can move all of us to... More reconciliation, more peace, more understanding between us because not one of us wants our children to be raised in this anxious, angry, fearful environment. And that's the other place we focus with, uh, Rise You Health. And I also want to say, Sima, thank you so much for what you're doing. And I would love for patients or for your listeners, uh, to go to our pages and learn, educate yourself because we know when you learn something new, it changes your brain. You can't go back. You can't go back and unring that bell. So learn. Advance yourself. Look around for somebody, perhaps a congregation, that is different color than you, but you know everybody's Lutheran. So go look for a Lutheran congregation that's not the same color as you. Get up, Mm -hmm. get out, get active, and join our campaign against hate.
1: Thank you, Leslie. Thank you both. Thank you so much for a great show. I could have... I could stay on the show and talk to you for hours, but we just don't have the time. But I'm hoping that you'll both come back. This is Sima, the Inclusionist, signing off. We would love to hear from you. Hit us up at at The Inclusionist on Twitter. Um, Go to my website, com. I'd love to hear any ideas you have, anything you have to say. Do you want to be on the show? Contact us. Simma Lieberman, The Inclusionist, thank you to Nikari Howard and Leslie Gregory.